You are listening to a six-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Generous. This series aims to equip you in becoming a generous person, not only one who blesses other people, but someone who experiences financial peace and reduces worry. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We're in this uh, series called Generous, uh, not just to learn how to give away money because Everybody in America knows how to give. Uh, We've all been inspired or guilted into giving something. Uh, So this isn't about how to do something. This is how to be something. And uh, the big idea for us at Jubilee Church is we want to be like Jesus. And so in being generous, we're really aspiring uh, to be like him. No one has been a bigger giver than Jesus. And so as we approach him. The more we approach him, the more we become like him, the more we're going to be generous. So we're very interested in becoming generous. And the promise that was made at the very beginning of this series is if you walk down this path, if you walk down this path of generosity, you will not only give away more money and bless more people, uh, but you'll have more joy and you'll have more peace. As hard as that is to imagine, if you go down this path, uh, joy and peace go up, Lifestyle may go down, but it's true nonetheless. And so the first week we talked about it needing to be a priority. And a few of us realized that in order for generosity to be a priority, we're going to have to flip our list. Because if we're honest, at the top of our list is, is, is ourselves, and at the bottom is God and others. He gets the leftovers, we get the firstovers. And so we have to flip that list. But in doing that, that strikes fear in our hearts because it's kind of like, well, hey, you know, what about... What about what, do I, what am I going to eat? You know, what am I going to go to school? And what about, my, what about this? What about that? So Jesus addressed that. He addressed some barriers that we have to being generous. That in our heads, we want to be generous, but our hearts, there's something in our hearts that won't let us write the check. And so Jesus says he helps us with that, especially with worry. He says our devotion is connected to our worry. Uh, that what we worry about is what we are devoted to the most. And so one of the ways that you get rid of Worry is you shift your devotion, shift your devotion from stuff and what you're going to eat that day to shift it to me and seeking me first. And if you do that, hey, no, I'm going to take care of you. And you'll, regardless of your personality, you're going to be carefree as a bird. Um, you're going to, it's going to increase the peace in your life. And so we, that was kind of the first part of the, the first three messages were about what it, what it means to our lives. And then we shifted to what it means for the, to the lives of others. And we talked about you know, like the feeding of the 5,000, if we're willing to let go of what we have, you know, God will multiply it and spiritually bless the city, that what we keep is all that we have, but what we give to God, God multiplies. And today in this final message, I want to talk about extravagant giving. I'm going to talk about extravagant giving. Practically speaking, you won't do this all the time because almost by definition you can't. But if you never do it, uh, there's a depth of relationship and there's a depth of worship of Jesus that will be missing. And as your pastor, I don't want that to be missing. So we're going to talk about extravagant giving. What is extravagant? Extravagant means excessive, lacking restraint, more than usual. So extravagant giving is this. Excessive, lacking restraint more than usual. Let me show you a few gifts that may or, you may or may not consider extravagant. Okay, so this is the Statue of Liberty. How many know that we, the Americans didn't build this? You knew that, right? Okay, you went to history. So the French, this was a gift back in the 1800s. They gave it to us. Now, if I was in the room, 
can we do like friendship bracelets? Like, do we have to like build $250 million worth of copper and send it across the ocean? How many here think that's an extravagant gift to give a friend? Yeah. If you're not raising your hand, I want to be your friend. But <laughs> it, it's extravagant. I guess it depends on the value of the relationship. How about this gift? You may not know this was a gift. You know the Taj Mahal was a gift in the 1600s from a husband to a wife? Wives are like, pretty nice gift. I'm waiting for my flowers, but I... Now, it may change your mind. This is a tomb. And so, like, uh, <laughs> in that culture in the 1600s, that, that was a positive thing. If you buy, if you buy your wife a tomb... Today, it's probably not a thing to go with flowers. Anyway, you guys are missing the point. I guess I'm missing the point. I'm helping you miss the point. Is uh, this guy spends? He he hires twenty thousand men, and they build this for seventeen years. How many think that's extravagant? Depends on the value of your wife. Husbands, I gave you one. You you missed it. Now, okay, here here we read a story about a woman. And this woman took a, a bottle of very expensive perfume, probably the size of a soda can, and she broke it over the head of Jesus. Now, this is extravagant on a couple levels. How many here have walked by someone who was wearing too much cologne? And by two, I mean, one or two is probably enough. But if you get into like the four or the five category, you're going to smell like a junior high school boy locker room. And so it's going to be, instead of taking showers, we'll just bathe ourselves in Axe body wash. And so like that's, this was about the size of a soda can, so about 11, 12 ounces poured upon the head and the feet of Jesus. Think about the fragrance, not just in that room, but just extravagant, excessive. But it's not, the real story here is the value. The value we learn is 300 denarii. A denarii is worth about a workman day's wage. Uh, this is 300. I don't know how many days a week you work, but clearly a year's salary, more than likely, minimum $25,000, let's say. We'll use that number. $25,000... Um, Probably a family heirloom that been passed generation after generation after generation. Now, some would take this kind of perfume and anoint a king's head. Not the feet, but just a little bit on the head. She takes an entire bo- a bottle, breaks it, pours it over his head, the head of a carpenter turned itinerant preacher, over his head, on his feet. Not even on a king's feet would you put this stuff, it's so expensive. But on the feet of Jesus, she puts it. Was that extravagant? It depends upon the value you put on Jesus. And here's the big idea this morning. True belief responds to the true worth of Jesus. True belief responds to the true worth of Jesus, if you believe that God has given extravagantly to you, you will give extravagantly to him. If you believe that God has given extravagantly to you, you will give 
extravagantly to him. Now, one of the things you need to know about some of the most profound lessons that Jesus will teach you is that he uses the weak things to shame the strong. He uses uh, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And I bring that up because if you're not consistently humbling yourself, uh, God will either A, allow you to miss out on some pretty big-time benefit, or B, he will humble you. And sometimes, to get you on your knees, he will punch you in the gut. And today, I'm giving you a warning. I'm being nice here, so don't, don't get defensive. Today, if you've, not, if you've not humbled yourself, today will be a punch in the gut. Because here's who's going to teach us about the value and, net, and worth of Jesus. We're not going to learn this from the guy who knows all of his verses and can teach the verses, who went to school, who raised his family well, whose kids go to all the right schools, who know the rules and follow the rules. We are going to learn from a Middle Eastern prostitute named Mary. She is going to teach us this morning about the value, about the true worth of Jesus. So this is how the story goes. One of the Pharisees, that is the religious guys, asked him, that is Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city. Now, that does not mean she likes urban areas, okay? So she's a woman of the city is code for uh, she sleeps around. She's an adulterer. She's a prostitute. Um, She's a woman of the city who was a sinner. What? When she learned that he, that is Jesus, reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, you need to imagine with me this, uh, a Middle Eastern woman, a very small town, very religious, highly conservative, and she was a notoriously sinful woman, a a notoriously um, promiscuous woman, unclean, degraded, defiled. Now, as tough as time as she would have had then, if you roll that back 2,000, or today, excuse me, you roll that back 2,000 years to, the, I mean, women couldn't vote, they couldn't own property, they were essentially treated like property by their fathers or their husbands, damaged, broken, defiled, brutalized, and check this out, she enters the house of a group of Pharisees talking theology who would have sought to condemn her, shame her, reject her, if not stone her. The degree of the reputation of the Pharisees was only outmatched of the reputation of Jesus to love and accept this woman. I mean, that alone is like an amazing story. That she, I mean, just full of, I mean, I can't imagine how nervous she would have been and how scared she would have been. And I'm sure Jesus will accept me, but if I don't. But for her, she she was not just, she just hadn't heard about the reputation of Jesus. She had experienced the grace and mercy of Jesus. So much so that she was willing to go uninvited into this group of men, which would have been unthinkable. So standing behind him at his feet, 
She just begins to weep and she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, with the hair of their head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. So she gets down probably on her knees and she goes to wash the feet. And, then, and in that moment, I think something happened that she probably didn't in, expect. And that she, becomes, she, be, she became overly aware, she became very aware of her own sinfulness. And this is true for you and I. What was true for her is true for you and I. Is That is, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we are aware of our own sin. That we are full of sin and he's full of grace and mercy. That we are unholy and he is holy. That we are... Um, defiled, and he is clean. And she begins to weep bitterly. Martin Luther rightly calls these tears heart water. These tears come out of the heart, cleansing for her soul. This is an act of repentance, acknowledging before the most judgmental, shaming, condemning, self-righteous religious men. Yes, I am sinful. Yes, I regret the life that I have lived. And she just begins to bawl, and her tears just come and come down her cheeks, quiver in her voice, snot coming out of her nose, makeup all messed up, you know, the ugliest of all ugly cries for sure, water flowing sufficiently, so much did she cry that they were sufficient to completely drench the feet of Jesus. This is a humble, repentant, devastated, grieved woman. The Pharisees, and maybe some of us have never shed a tear for even one of our sins. This woman perhaps shed a tear for every single one. And I think it was just totally unexpected. Because if she would expect it, she would have brought a tissue or a towel or something to wipe it up. So she just takes her hair and begins to wipe the feet of Jesus. True belief responds to the true worth of Jesus Story continues. Now the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, said to himself. So Simon the Pharisee said to himself, okay, this is an internal thought. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. Now notice he doesn't say it aloud. Religious people guard their words and actions, but they fail to guard their heart. Religious people are so good at making sure that they say the right things and they act the right things, but they don't actually take care of the heart. This man was very careful in what he said. He looked the part and he acted the part. But in here, he was not the part. The problem with religious people, though, is that God knows the heart. Because check this out. And Jesus answered him. Simon's like, did you hear that? Because I said in my head, how did you hear that? Simon, I have something to say to you. Oops. I guess if you have something to say, say it, teacher. So he tells him a story, and this is a story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and, and the other 50. He's keeping it simple, you know, just round numbers. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now, which one of them will love more? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt, he said to him. And Jesus says, you have judged rightly. So Jesus is just like teaching him kindergarten spirituality. Okay, Simon. One owes 50, one owes 500, both canceled, which is better? The one with the extra zero, you got it. What's the point? Simon thought he only had a little debt, and this woman had a great debt. 
Because of that, Jesus is saying to him, you don't think that I've done much for you. So you don't love very much. This woman is aware of what I've done for her. So she loves much. Because true belief responds to the true worth of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What do you owe God? Like if God was to send you a bill, he's not going to. But let's say he did. The end of the, every month. He sent you a bill for everything that you did that you weren't supposed to do, and he sent you a bill for everything that you were supposed to do that you didn't do. What would that bill look like? I hope it's a big number for you. Some of you say, okay, 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 I'm, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to like do the best I possibly can. Here's the problem. The best you probably, you're still not going to be perfect. But even if you were perfect, let's just, come on, we can imagine. Just you and I. We, let's just imagine that you were able to be perfect. What are you going to do about the debt you already owe? Because even if you're perfect, you're only doing what you're supposed to be doing. Jesus says, God has come to forgive your debt and Jesus is the means by which our debts are paid. Jesus is ultimately going to go to the cross. Uh, he's going to be uh, killed. He's going to be buried. And then he's going to rise up on Easter Sunday. This is what we're going to celebrate next week. In seven days, we are going to celebrate the resurrected Savior who paid the debts for our sins. And here's on a side note. Here's what I think you should do. I don't know where the flyers are, if they're in your bulletin or out there. But you should grab as many of those you can, and you should invite as many people. Because you know what people think about the debt that they have or what spirituality is all about? And maybe some of you may think this. Because every, every religion tells you that you should pay your debt to God. You should go to purgatory and suffer. You should reincarnate multiple lifetimes and suffer and pay and go to Mecca and do these things. Christianity says that Jesus pays your debt. And this woman got it. This guy who knew all his verses did not. Nothing wrong with knowing all your verses, by the way. It's not the point of the message. Let me ask you a question. Do you get what Jesus has done for you? Not up here. Not just up here, I should say. Do you get that here? True belief responds to the true worth of Jesus. So Jesus continues, then turning toward the woman, he's looking at the woman, but he's getting ready to talk to Simon. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? I want to say to you, same thing. Do you see this woman? Do you see her passion? Do you see her love? Do you see the value that she puts on Jesus? Is it extravagant? Is it excessive? Many thought so. Jesus continued, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. So he's saying, look, you didn't even show me common courtesy. I mean, the way that 
dinners worked is you didn't like sit at a chair, but you like leaned in on one arm and your, everyone's foot went to the outside and their feet were, I mean, they were gross. So it was common courtesy to the, 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 your guests, but it was common courtesy to all your guests that the feet would be washed either by you or by a servant or at least a self-serve option. He did none of that. But she wiped my feet with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which was common, formal greeting. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Simon, you may think you know up here, but you don't know right here. She is a worshiper. You are not. She loves. You don't. She repents. You won't. She serves. You don't. She gives generously. You don't give it all. You know all the verses, but you have nothing to teach her. She has everything to teach you. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many. Here's the good news, guys. We do not have to hide from the fact that our sins are many. It's okay, don't, to, to, to whistle to work tomorrow, you don't have to, like, try to stuff it down. In fact, to do that is what the Pharisee did. The Pharisee tried to present himself of having it all together. This woman just, like, went ugly with it, and I don't have it all together. And she was met with the grace and mercy of God, and she whistled to work the next day. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Have you been forgiven a little or a lot? How do you know? How do you know that you've experienced that? Well, let me ask you a question. Who do you want to be in this story? When you realize what Christ has done for you, there's no way to proportionately respond to this um, without at times being totally extravagant, like not being able to quantify boundaries, no restraint, more than expected. You break the bottle and you pour every drop. And it's not crazy. Mary here seemed crazy. At first to us, maybe seemed crazy, certainly to the religious guys and to his disciples that we'll read about here in a second. Thought he was, she was crazy, but not Jesus. How do you get there? How do, you, how do you get to this place? Well, number one, we need to understand that extravagance requires humility. I mean, this woman, I mean, she held on to no dignity in her response to Jesus. She risked her life, literally risked her life. But at minimum, just massive, massive shame. Sometimes it's hard to like, it's hard sometimes to admit even that you're a Christian to someone who will probably just give you a dirty look, not stone you to death. It requires humility. What's beneath you? Nothing was beneath her in her worship. I mean, this is just holistic. We're, I mean, we're talking about being generous, but this is holistic. I mean, sometimes in worship, you know, it's just like, have you ever had a moment where you just let yourself go in worship? Just 
singing. And I don't care who hears it. Just like you're just singing. Your emotions, letting your emotions go in worship are just standing clutching onto your dignity. And worship is about not clutching onto our dignity, but his dignity, his worth, his value, and letting go of ours. I mean, check out uh, uh, David in the Bible. I can't think of a manlier man than David, King David in the Bible. And this is what he said, or said about him in 2 Samuel 6, 14. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might, with all of his might. Hands in your pocket. I hope this is more than all your might. And David wearing underwear. That's what that means. I'm not suggesting that you come here in your underwear. You will be sent home. (laughs) Or put in a closet somewhere. But his wife rebukes him for being a disgrace to himself. And he says, it was before the Lord. I will make myself, you think that's something, I will even, I'll get what could be worse. Uh, I will make myself even more, that really means undignified, contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. I wasn't worried about what people thought. He humbled himself. Mary humbled herself. Extravagance requires sacrifice. Some were indignant. This, this, this story, by the way, is in all four Gospels, which is significant. She had more time to talk about that point. And you, when you get the full, the surround sound story, um, people were indignant because they're like, hey, we could have used this for the poor. It could have been used for something more sensible than just being poured out on the ground. And some people are like, hey, you know, it's good to be, have, you know, give a little charity now and then, but like, I need to get my ducks in the row to make sure I can live the life that I want. I heard a story of a pastor who had these two medical students who were going to quit school early to go with him to go to Africa to not only give medical attention to some people in Africa, but also spread the gospel. And their parents, who claimed to be Christians, could not wrap their minds around this decision. Just couldn't do it. And they told them, now we think it's great that you're excited about Jesus, but before you go run, you know, throw your lives away, don't you think you should get your master's degree so that you could have you know, real security to fall back on. And these parents, you know, the kids would not hear it. So the parents go to the pastors like, you know, hey, you're an adult. You know, certainly you can talk some sense into my kids. Like, tell them they need some security before they throw their lives away. And I love, I love the pastor's response. I wish I was as courageous. Just think about this, he said. Every single one of us is, is on a little piece of rock called earth, which is spinning through space at 1,000 miles an hour. If for some reason, by chance, nothing crashes into it, scary thought, it doesn't matter because underneath every single one of us, there's a trap door called death. After a while, eventually, every one of us will fall through that trap door and will either fall into the loving arms of a Savior or into an abyss called hell. But hey, maybe we need a master's degree for some security. Who's crazy? Are these kids crazy? Is Mary crazy for doing what she did? Are these parents crazy? What about you? What kind of crazy are you? We're all a little crazy. 
crazy for something. Here's that verse I promised you in Mark 14. There were some who said to themselves indignantly. So this wasn't the Pharisees. This was like his crew, his disciples. This is the one, these are the ones that were supposed to be on Team Jesus. Why was this ointment wasted like that? Sensible talk. For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. Don't give like that. That's crazy. Be smart. Be sensible. you got your own problems to worry about. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Let me say something. So we're in this next resource initiative. If if you're not caught up to speed on this, you can go on the website and click next resource and you can figure out what we're doing, why we're doing it. Um, but we've been talking about it for the last six weeks and it's going to come to a head here next week. And I think we're going to do some really great stuff. We've had a great 20-year run as a church. And there's so much more. And I just think of all the, the people that we can reach, um, the lives that can be tra- transformed, that will be transformed. Um, but neither myself or the greatest orator on the planet Earth could cast enough vision for what the mission that we have in front of us more compelling than you having a face-to-face encounter with the living God and seeing his worth. Because Jesus says, hey, you'll always have the poor. You'll always have mission. This giving to the mission is beside the point in a way because it's all about me. It doesn't matter that's poured out on the ground. It doesn't matter that you think it's a waste. Because it points to the value of me. You see, at Jubilee Church, we we want to be disciples like Mary. Who see the value of Jesus. Who understand the grace of God. Who don't get caught up in legalism and finger pointing and insecurity and defense. We want to be free people, free to love, free to care, free to serve, free to give our life away. We want to be like Mary, and we want, we want to reach people like Mary, who are broken, who are abused, who are denigrated, who are looked down upon, who are spit upon, who are kicked. You think we'll reach those kind of people by being those who cross our T's and dot our I's and little good church boys and girls and do what we're supposed to do? Or might we reach them by being perhaps a little undignified, a little excessive, a little extravagant in how we respond to what God has done? You see, Jesus said this. Jesus says, if you lift me up, like if you, with your life, with your worship, with your hours, with your days, with your dollars, you lift me up, you make much of me, you put value on me, 
I will draw men and women to myself. That's why Jesus said this in Mark. Matthew. (laughs) I was hoping you wouldn't miss that. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let me ask you a question. When you give away all that you have to get a treasure like that, are you sacrificing? Jim Elliott said this. Jim Elliott said, He was murdered by the people he wanted to share the gospel with. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot gain to keep what he cannot lose. That's the heart of Mary. She got a hold of the treasure, and that's the thing. God wants to give give something to you. He wants you to experience the treasure, but we'll never, ever, 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 ever experience that treasure if we don't see the value of what he's done in our response to him. Jesus said, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus, because the gospel isn't a mental ascent to some facts. I mean, I want you to know that. I want you to read your Bibles. I want you to know things. No, please do that. Please, please, please read and know all that you can possibly know. Understand the gospel. Look upon the gospel. See the gospel. But the gospel, even at that, is not a mental ascent to a few facts. It's not learning to know how to play the church game. The gospel is coming face to face with the reality that your sins, that our sins, which are many, are forgiven. And that electrifying not just our minds, but electrifying our heart, like Mary, where, I mean, doing something accessible, excessive isn't really all that excessive. Therefore, wherever the gospel is preached, her story will be mentioned because she got it right. She knew the value of Jesus and it showed up and how she let go of what she had, perhaps all she had.